Chapter 9 of Lives of Poor Boys Who Became Famous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of Poor Boys Who Became Famous by Sarah Knowles Bolton. Chapter 9 Samuel Johnson. Dr. Samuel Johnson. In a quaint old house in Litchfield, England, now used as a draper's shop, Samuel Johnson, son of a poor bookseller and bookbinder, was born. Here, as in Westminster Abbey, a statue is erected to his memory. Nearby is the schoolhouse where Addison and Garrick studied. When Samuel was two and a half years old, diseased with scrofula, his good mother, with ten dollars sewed in her skirt so that nobody could steal it, took him to London that with two hundred others, he might be touched by Queen Anne, and thus, as superstitious people believed, be healed. On this journey she bought him a silver cup and spoon. The latter he kept till his dying day, and parted with the cup only in the dire poverty of later years. The touch of the Queen did no good, for he became blind in one eye. With the other he could not see a friend half a yard off, and his face was sadly disfigured. Being prevented thus from sharing the sports of other boys, much time was spent in reading. He was first taught at a little school kept by widow Oliver, who years after, when he was starting for Oxford, brought him a present of gingerbread, telling him he was the best scholar she ever had. After a time he studied Latin under a master who whipped it into him. The foolish teacher would ask the boy the Latin word for candlestick, or some unexpected thing, and then whip him, saying— this I do to save you from the gallows. Naturally indolent, Samuel had to struggle against this tendency. He had, however, the greatest ambition to excel, and to this he attributed his later success. He was also inquisitive, and had a wonderful memory. When he wore short dresses, his mother gave him the prayer book one day, and, pointing to the collect, said, You must get this by heart. She went upstairs, but no sooner had she reached the second floor than she heard him following. He could repeat it perfectly, having looked it over but twice. He left school at sixteen, spending two years at home in helping his parents, and studying earnestly. One day, his father, being ill, asked him to go to a neighbouring town and take his place in selling books at a stall on market day. He was proud, and did not go. Fifty years afterward, in his greatness, then an old man, he went to this stall, and, with uncovered head, remained for an hour in the rain where his father had formerly stood, exposed to the sneers of the bystanders and the inclemency of the weather. It showed the repentance of a noble soul for disobedience to a parent. At nineteen he entered Pembroke College, Oxford, where he acted as servant. He used to go daily to his friend Taylor, and get lectures second-hand, till his feet, showing through his worn-out shoes, were perceived by the students, and he ceased going. A rich young man secretly put a pair of new shoes at his door, which he indignantly threw out of the window. He was willing to work and earn, but would not receive charity. At the end of three years he became so poor that he was obliged to leave college, his father dying soon after. After various experiences he sought the position of usher at a school, but was refused because it was thought that the boys would make fun of his ugliness. 
he finally obtained such a place, was treated with great harshness, and left in a few months. Strange to say, the poor, lonely scholar, only twenty-six, now fell in love with a widow forty-eight years old. After obtaining his mother's consent he married her, and the union proved a most happy one. With the little money his wife possessed he started a school, and advertised for pupils, but only three came, and the school soon closed. In despair he determined to try London, and see if an author could there earn his bread. In that great city he lived for some time on nine cents a day. One publisher to whom he applied suggested to him that the wisest course would be to become a porter and carry trunks. A poem written at this time, entitled London, for which he received fifty dollars, one line of which was in capital letters. Slow rises worth by poverty depressed. Attracted attention, and Pope who was then at the height of his fame, asked Dublin University to give to the able scholar the degree of M.A., that he might thus be able to take the principalship of a school and earn three hundred dollars a year, but this was refused. Out of such struggles come heroic souls. When he was forty he published the Vanity of Human Wishes, receiving seventy-five dollars, asserted by many to be the most impressive thing of its kind in the language. The lines... There mark what ills the scholar's life assail, Toil, envy, want, the patron, and the jail. Show his struggles. A drama soon after, played by the great actor David Garrick, brought him nearly a thousand dollars, but the play itself was a failure. When asked by his friends how he felt about his ill success, he replied, Like the monument, meaning that he continued firm and unmoved, like a column of granite. Fame was coming at last, after he had struggled in London for thirteen years, and what bitterness they had brought. For two years he worked almost constantly on a paper called The Rambler. When his wife said that, well as she had thought of him before, she had never considered him equal to this, he was more pleased than with any praise he ever received. She died three days after the last copy was published, and Johnson was utterly prostrated. He buried himself in hard work in his garret, a most inconvenient room, but he said, "'In that room I never saw Mrs. Johnson.' Her wedding ring was placed in a little box, and tenderly kept till his death. Three years afterward his great work, his dictionary, appeared, for which he received eight thousand dollars, but as he had been obliged to employ six assistants for seven years, he was still poor but now famous. The universities of Oxford and Dublin, when he no longer needed their assistance, hastened to bestow their degrees upon him. Even George III invited him to the royal palace, a strange contrast to a few years before, when Samuel Johnson was under arrest for a debt of thirty dollars. When asked by Reynolds how he had obtained his accuracy and flow of language in conversation, he replied, by trying to do my best on every occasion, and in every company. About this time his aged mother died, and in the evenings of one week, to defray her funeral expenses, he wrote Rasselas, and received five hundred dollars for it. He wrote in his last letter to her, You have been the best mother, and I believe the best woman in the world. 
I thank you for your indulgence to me, and beg forgiveness of all that I have done ill, and of all that I have omitted to do well. His last great work was The Lives of the Poets. He received now a pension of fifteen hundred dollars a year for his valuable services to literature, but never used more than four hundred dollars for himself. He took care of a blind woman, of whom he said, She was a friend to my poor wife, and was in the house when she died. She has remained in it ever since. Of a mother and daughter dependent upon an old family physician, and of two men whom nobody else would care for. Once, when he found a poor woman on the street late at night, he took her home, and kept her till she was restored to health. His pockets were always filled with pennies for street Arabs, and, if he found poor children asleep on a threshold, he would slip money into their hands that, when they awakened, they might buy breakfast. When a servant was dying, who had been in the family for forty-three years, he prayed with her, and kissed her, the tears falling down his cheeks. He wrote in his diary, "'We kissed and parted.' I humbly hope to meet again, and part no more. He held, rightly, that Christianity levels all distinctions of rank. He was very tender to animals. Once, when in Wales, a gardener brought into the house a hare which had been caught in the potatoes, and was told to give it to the cook. Dr. Johnson asked to have it placed in his arms, then, taking it to the window, he let it go, shouting to it to run as fast as possible. He would buy oysters for his cat, Hodge, that the servants, from seeing his fondness for it, might be led to treat it kindly. He died at the age of seventy-five, such men as Burke and Reynolds standing by his bedside. Of the latter he begged that he would read his Bible and never paint on Sundays. His last words were to a young lady who had asked his blessing. "'God bless you, my dear.' He was buried with appropriate honours in Westminster Abbey, and monuments are erected to him in St. Paul's Cathedral, and at Lichfield. The poor boy, nearly blind, became the brightest ornament of the eighteenth century. End of chapter 9 Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Sunday, April 1st, 2012, in San Diego, California.